Welcome to Pet Lover Geek, everyone. We are powered by Pet Hub, and I'm your host, Lorian Clemens. I'm so happy to have us with you for the next half hour or so. And today, we're going to be talking about training. Now, training is actually a huge part of keeping pets happy, safe, and home for the rest of their lives. So it means a lot to us here at Pet Hub and Pet Lover Geek. Because the facts are pretty daunting, actually, when it comes to training and how it affects keeping those puppers home. One in 10 rescued pups are rehomed within six months due to obedience issues. And according to some studies, as much as high as, high as 85% of doggos have behavior issues. And almost half of those issues are due to fear and anxiety. In fact, there's been more research on dog behavior in the last 10 years than in the entire 20 something thousand years that dogs and humans have been hanging out together. So today we're going to sniff around. We're just going to dig into a little bit of the subject of the science behind dog training. Now, I'm sure I'm sure you've all seen those really famous uh, dog trainers on mainstream TV, social media, YouTube, you name it. And some of them are, are pretty awesome. Some of them, they may not be actually using methods that are scientifically proven to really help a dog learn to be a good canine citizen. In fact, they're using methods that really more are about the trainer and making the trainer famous than they are about really, truly helping the dog. And so we we want to kind of, you know, unpack some of that stuff that you're seeing there and maybe what 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 we could be doing instead. And also see what is exactly behind your dog's stinky behavior. <laughs> is it, usually we find that the doggos are really trying to be good girls and good boys, but the problem is at the other end of the leash. So without any further ado, I want to introduce my guest today, who is Gentle Beast founder and CEO, Ben Green. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hi, Lorianne. Thanks for having me and excited to be here. And you got to tell me, who's our guest star behind you? This is actually a guest star in our home today, too. This is Ruby, who's my my sister's dog that we're taking care of for the weekend and is my shadow for basically the next three days. And our pet subject. I was about to say, uh, you you shared with me before we started recording, there's been a little bit of a kerfuffle going on this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And you, you know, you use the whole, you know, the the cobbler's son doesn't have shoes type of a thing. So I I actually look forward to seeing if we have all around it. I love I always love it when we have some what we call local dog flavor on on our shows. So let's get on into this. So so you you're the founder of Gentle Beast, and one of the things that actually really appealed uh, to us here at Pet Up and Pet Lover Geek about Gentle Beast was when we first visited your website. There's a ton about the research and the science and what's really underneath it, and we're like yes. It's not just about selling cool tech. It's not just about selling a beautiful app, that kind of thing. It's really about what's underneath it all. So super excited to get to talk with you. I'd love it if we can kind of start with that foundation of that research that's around those underlying reasons for quote unquote bad canine behavior or what is perceived rather as bad canine behavior. So what, what are those reasons that are often behind why the dog is it behaving in a way that makes them conducive to being a nice housemate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The short answer is we've flipped the script on dogs in the past 50 years. So like you mentioned, we've had this relationship with dogs as our companion. It's the most unique relationship in the animal kingdom for nearly 20,000 years. And for about 19,950 of those years, 
we've really been focused on dogs in a couple of different ways as things to help protect our herd, help protect our families, and have some very specific jobs. Now, throughout that time, we definitely started to pick dogs that looked really cute and were great lap dogs. You can see lap dogs all the way back to ancient China. But generally speaking, dogs had jobs and were bred for very specific uh, skill sets. So you have terriers who are very good at digging around and getting rats and things like that out of barns. You have hunting dogs and retrieving dogs who all have these natural drives that we have selectively bred for for generations. And in the last 50 years, basically with the advent of things like Lassie and everyone moving their dog from the house in their backyard into mm -hmm. their bedroom, we've had a very different set of expectations of what it means to be a good dog. And these things that are naturally occurring behaviors because of what we've done around the evolutionary progress of dogs, we're now defining as problem behaviors. Things like barking when a stranger is coming by or a loud noise happens or digging through things and ripping things up. These are all natural behaviors that we have bred for. And so a lot of this is a change in perception of what we expect out of our dogs, and our dogs are catching up to that. And so that's really, I think, the root cause of a lot of this is like our expectations of our dogs have entirely changed, but the genetic makeup and the behavior of our dogs has not, and will take a long time to get there. And so training is the way to affect that change, not at a genetic level, but at a behavioral level. Right. So, it's, and, and, and this is one of the things I think is so key and, and why some trainers, when I watch them, I, I, and we won't name their names, but we all know who they are. When I watch them, I, I, you know, I just kind of shiver and I get a little tick and it's just, it's, it's because they're, be, they're basically disciplining the dog and punishing the dog and trying to say like, I'm the boss and you will behave the way I tell you to behave. And it's, and it's for me, it's, it's it's no different than if you've got a toddler who's just trying to figure out how to regulate themselves with the world around them and how to communicate with the world around them. And then you come on them and you're like, you know, for lack of a better, hitting them or yelling at them to get them to quote, behave in a way when they're just, they're seeing this for the first time. And they're like, what, 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 what are you trying to get me to do? I'm just, just reacting normally. Like I'm, you know, my body and my brain tells me to. So I, I'm really glad that Finally, I think it's in the last 10 years, I would say, we've seen that shift away. But the other uh, discipline basis, uh, more dominar dominance, I guess, but dominance training is the one is the, that that is still around. Yeah. So so let's then let's talk about then what research has told us is a more effective way of doing dog training. Yes. So to, to talk a little bit about dominance theory and, and why, and also you know, pack theory and why, why that's such a thing and still so pervasive, there was actually a study done, I believe in the 1940s by, by um, David Metch, who basically said that dogs follow a very similar social hierarchical structure to wolves. Uh, 60 years later, that same David Metch came back and said, that is actually not true. That's a familial system and dogs don't operate in a familial, in a familial system. And so basically what, what that told us was that this whole idea of there needing to be an alpha and the dog looking at us like the alpha was the way the dog was going to listen is completely disproven. What is actually much more effective is also something that's been around for a long time, ever since, since uh, Isaac Pavlov, and everyone knows Pavlov's dogs, this idea of operant conditioning. That if we create positive associations with something like ringing a bell and providing a treat every time that bell is rung, we can we can really seed in the dog's mind. It's like, hey, if I do this or I interact with this, here is a really good outcome for me. And so there's, there's been a lot of studies around this, this recently. 
And with it has also come a lot of position papers from some of the, the, the really important um, operators in the, the behavior space, primarily the uh, American Society of Veterinary Animal Behaviorists, uh, who's basically said that positive reinforcement, which is using one of the quadrants of operant conditioning, where we're rewarding for something that we like, is the most effective way from an e efficacy standpoint, but it's also the best moral way when we think about the welfare of dogs. And I think it's really important that we look at two lenses here. What is what is effective for changing the behavior? And then also, what is the best thing for our dogs as members of our family, which is a very different perspective that we have on our dogs than we did 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And so those two different paths are really important when considering these methodologies and when looking at the research. And so positive, positive reinforcement absolutely takes into account that, that moral standing and what is actually going on with the welfare of the dog. The things that I, I wanted to kind of touch on is kind of back on that, the causes, right? So, because you've already mentioned, you know, in fact, it's been bred into them, everything that, but if we think of it too, about like our environment, and I, I'm, a, I'm a dog mom, a cat mom, and a toddler mom. So I do <laughs> look at things, you know, in that framework of the, the three-year-old uh, child and how they deal with things. And one of the things I love uh, when looking at the stuff that you provide for pet parents is you say, you know what, it, it is about breeding and, and uh, you know, how they, how they were, their DNA is structured and all these kind of things. And it's also about their environment, right? And training is just one part of why behavior comes together. And I'd love it if you could also talk a little bit about, because I think that's key when people are hearing, it's not just like, I'm going to take my dog to a training class and then all of this is going to get fixed. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's that idea of like, this is the one thing I need to do to get this thing solved. And it's really not like many things in life. It's not just about getting, making sure that the child is fed because he's clearly hangry right now, but it's also that he's been in these really itchy school clothes all day long. And it's also that, you know, his hair, it's just because he's refused to let you <laughs> give him a shower in the last four days. You know, like all these little things that are leading to a child on meltdown. Same thing true for a dog. So can you talk a little bit about like, what are these other like environmental factors when we're talking about there are family members now. So what are these other things that we should be thinking about that are other than just training? Yes, definitely. So I think at a top level, what we, we think about training as, as being both ends of the leash and frankly, much more on the human side. And what that really means is it's it's the human who's putting these dogs in the environments. I think if dogs have the choice, I don't think a single one would probably live in a city environment. The loud noises, the smells, the other dogs, all of those things, the close confined spaces, those are just not a situation a dog is meant to live in. And hey, I live in a city and I've got two dogs. And so I'm very much a part of that. And so then it becomes a responsibility on my part to think about the environment that I put my dog in and know that in certain situations, I am setting them up to fail. And so when we think about the environmental factors, we also need to think about training is not so much as getting your dog to do what you want, but managing their experience so they have a better experience and therefore they don't reach a bad behavior threshold. So if your dog is reactive or something like that, the best thing you can do is get your dog out of the situation and move them out of that environment. No, There's going to be no magical method that's just going to suddenly turn your dog off if they have a reactive event or something like that. When the environment is telling them, this is really scary, you should be anxious, or every every urge in their body is saying run or fight or something along those lines. And so it mm -hmm. becomes our responsibility to really look at the environment around them and what we're providing for that. And so 
this is why like socialization for for example is one of the most important things and especially through the gentle beast process we make this super clear that you need to be socializing your dog to your to the environment in the very first few weeks that you have them because that's going to be the root cause of a lot of behavior issues and so it's, it's a really big important facet to really get your dog used to the environment because at the end of the day the environment is the cause of most behavior problems yeah yeah and i i have a, i have a covid puppy and uh, that's not how we planned it, but then it just COVID happened and hey, we've got a COVID puppy. And all of the things that I had done with previous doggos and socialization kind of went out the door because all of a sudden we don't have the puppy play dates and we don't have the going to the dog park and the couple of the things that we would have done. Well, actually, I wouldn't take a dog puppy to the dog park anyway, but you know, those things where you put that puppy in a situation where they can experience as many different things as possible. But you mentioned gentle bees. So let's, let's use this last part of the, the interview to chat about that, because I think that's also like one of the things that I really love about the way the gentle bees approaches this. So Talk about the gentle beast process. Why should I use gentle beast and not one of these other apps that are out there? Why shouldn't I just take them down there to the local pet store that's offering a training class? Yeah, so I would say first and foremost is dog training is an unregulated industry. So as a consumer, and this is how we discovered the idea for gentle beast, like as, a, as a consumer and as someone who grew up with dogs, had multiple dogs throughout my adult life, I was at a loss on how to find the right trainer, how to find the right information, what was actually going on with my dog. So I spent over $4,000 and hundreds of hours on like YouTube and Google and working with different trainers before I even knew what I was actually supposed to look for. So there's a massive education gap in what dog training actually is, what's actually effective and what's actually humane. And so that's kind of the starting point and like the reason we, we believe Gentle Beast, something like Gentle Beast needed to exist. But there was this one experience that I had working with with the trainer. It was the last trainer we worked with where she was really she was certified by the CCPDT, had done all this furthering education. And she was a breath of fresh air. And she's the one who really sat us down and, and said, hey, you need to look at what's going on with your dog and understand what precipitated this event. What are the other factors that are contributing here? Are you giving her an outlet for enrichment or exercise? Is she getting enough sleep? Is she being fed the right things? Does she have something hygienic going on, going on? And so this was this was a big aha moment that like we view training as this very narrow thing of sit, come, stay, get my dog to do what mm -hmm. they want. But if we broaden this and we think about this concept of behavioral wellness, that there are multiple facets that that impact behavior. And when one of those things is off, behavior is going to be off. Then we failed the dog, even if we're doing everything right from a training sense. So Gentle Beast is very much centered in the idea that training is this multifaceted experience that needs to have components that include health and wellness and include things like enrichment in order for you to be successful. So we, we don't just tell you how to do something. We tell you why you're doing it. We give you the context behind the behavior and we help you figure out ways that, that can work that specifically to your dog. So based on your dog's breed, their environment, their age, and, the, and their behavioral pro profile, what, how they actually react in certain situations, and really importantly, what you want to do with your dog, we'll create you a completely customized training plan with right now about 4.2 million possible training plans from, from basically our first puppy course. And within that, you're going to have a really unique path tailored to your dog and tailored to their developmental stage where you're gonna be able to attack each one of these facets and make sure your, your dog is hitting each one of these points in something that's really personalized to you. So someone who 
has a, a, a chihuahua out in the suburbs that's two years old, is going to have a very different experience than someone who's got a six-month-old mastiff living in New York, which I just wouldn't recommend in the first place. Uh, but <laughs> but all, all, all of that said, the, the, real, the real key to, uh, to Gentle Beast is surfacing the, the really amazing quality of our trainers. Our, our head trainer, Alex Tessa, runs Peach Unleashed Dog Training in, in Atlanta, Georgia. She's been in the industry for 12 years now. She runs a, a great team. She's trained over thousands and thousands of dogs. And you know when you're working with Gentle Beast that you're going to get the best possible advice possible that is really backed up by science and is not this thing that's really just made for entertaining TV that's really high-pressure scenarios. Training can be really boring, and that's okay. It doesn't all have to be these intense scenarios of dramatic music. And that's the other thing that, that I think is really important around Gentle Beast and how we message to people is training is a lifelong process. It can be really hard, but it's really rewarding. And if you put in the work, you're going to have great outcomes for it. And that that is a through line throughout the entire Gentle Beast experience, that this is not just about what you want. This is about your, your relationship with your most important companion. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about you, Ben, but for me, I long for boring days now. <laughs> like, went on, especially in the last couple of years since COVID happened and everything that, like, I, I love the idea of just like a quiet weekend, you know, where we go out for a walk, we play in the backyard for a little while, you know, we come home and we cuddle and everything's like chill, you know. I'm not looking forward to like having those big, crazy, uh, dramatic moments that they always show on uh, those dog TV shows. I would love it if, um, and not dog TV, but the TV shows about dogs. Uh, dog TV is great. Uh, we'll talk, talk a little bit about uh, what what would my experience be if I came on to Gentle Beast? So what am I talking? I'm looking at videos. Am I working one on one with a trainer? Like, what does that look like when I'm uh, using the Gentle Beast program? Yep. So we've we've essentially built a proprietary learning management system, and the, and the way that we we basically think about it is like. Take the best parts of something like Masterclass, super high premium quality videos with the best instructors possible and combine it with the sort of personalization, the gamification and the, the fun and the easiness of something like Duolingo. And so when you sign up for Gentle Beast, we first build you a behavior profile so we can build that training plan for you. And this training plan will run for months and eventually will run for years. Uh, depending on how you want to use it, we're going to remind you when to train, when to do certain things. So the actual experience itself is we're going to assign you different courses. For example, it might be house training. But depending on if you live in the city or the country or if you want to use potty pads or eventually go outside, you've got a lot of different options for, for house training that we're going to we're going to send you down based on that behavioral profile. So when you actually jump into the course, we've built a series of interactive modules. So things like explainer videos, very straightforward sort of master class, direct to camera where we're explaining the concept and the science behind something. Here's why your dog reacts like this in a situation. We also uh, we also suggest the equipment that's needed. We work with a bunch of different product partners uh, to, to basically have trainer curated and approved equipment so you're not going to the wild west of Amazon. Once you've got that equipment in place, we, we move into the, the real meat of the work, which is what we call skill builders. And these are effectively Instagram stories. These are bite-sized, interactive, little repeating clips that break down a complex cue into its component parts. And so that's actually what you're standing there doing, training your dog, referring back to while you're working on it. And then we're going to ask you to ask knowledge quizzes around how, how did you do, uh, testing you on different concepts to make sure that you're retaining the information. And then we're also going to check in with you, being like, hey, did you have any problems with this? Oh, we've know, we know several people who have 
this problem. We're going to branch you in a different direction and serve you up different content to maybe deal with this specific problem to your dog. And for whatever reason, we don't have that. You're also part of a text group with about 20 other people with a dog of a similar developmental stage. Each of those groups is led by a certified trainer. So you always have a resource. If there's not something in the Dental Beast app or you have a question or you want to send a video in, you can always reach your trainer. And then you've got a whole cohort of people who are doing this alongside you who are going to celebrate your victories and provide support along the way. Awesome. And yet, and you guys are fairly new. So talk about like how how's the success been? Have you found that it's really effective way of doing it? Yeah. So one of the, the biggest things that our big focus early on is, is getting a lot of users on, not necessarily paying users or, or anything like that, though that is also going really well. So our focus right now is proving efficacy is saying, hey, if someone has this really accessible, really affordable tool, that maybe we can actually move the needle on behavior. And where is that most important? In rescues. So mm-hmm. our first real like uh, adoption of the product is happening in the rescue space. We work with over 30 different rescue organizations that represent thousands and thousands of dogs being adopted out every year. And the way that we work with them is we provide Gentle Beast 100% for free for any of their fosters and volunteers. So we make sure the dogs that are in the rescues are more likely to be adopted. And once that, that dog moves into an adopter's hands, we're also providing those people with three weeks free training through Gentle Beast with no strings attached, no credit card information, nothing like that. Because once someone is introduced to training, once someone is introduced to the concepts behind it, even if they don't continue with Gentle Beast, you've got a more informed user who's going to better understand mm-hmm. their dog's behavior and are going to be less likely to return that dog. And so we've had great uptake on, on the rescue side. We're getting early signs of really, really great movement in those dogs being more adoptable, less returns, still very early on to to call in any numbers around that. Uh, But we're really excited about that prospect. And so that's where the primary focus is. That being said, we've we've got hundreds of people using the platform. Uh, It's been been about a month since we've launched. And it's it's been (laughs) really- You're very early on. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And and right now it's available on Apple. Um, And you're going to be coming soon in for Android users like myself? So primarily, so the next is more likely to be a web-based version, so it's accessible to nice. everyone. Um, and this yeah. has been, again, more reactive to our, our uh, rescue conversations where, where that's where mm-hmm. they really want to be able to use it. And we want to make sure that even a, even a device is not a barrier to, to accessing this yeah. training. Um, and so we will eventually do, do Android, and we have a, a system built for it, but the web app will likely be first. I love web apps, honestly, because anybody can use it, and then you're all talking. And, and frankly, like, you know, so like I... I have friends that like use a PC and then they also use it at Apple phone, you know, so it's like an iPhone. So it's, it's, I love web access is, is the way to go for, for getting. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, so tell people where they can find out more about gentle beast. Sure. Uh, you can find us on the app store just by searching gentle beast, or you can visit us on the web at gentlebeast.com. Uh, we have a great, very active resource of articles, research, and information that is totally free and accessible to everyone. So I encourage you to check it out if you've got a dog of any age. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ben. Uh, really excited to see your progress. I, I, like I said, I love the approach that you uh, folks are taking, and it uh, certainly caught our eye over here at Pet Lover Geek and Pet Hub. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. All right, pet lovers, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to check out more Pet Lover Geek episodes. You can find us on Buzzsprout or Spotify, Apple, pretty much anywhere you love to listen to podcasts, you'll find us there. And if you have ideas or questions, you know, just drop us a line at Paw News, that's P-A-W-N-E-W-S, at Pet Hub. 
pethub.com or just visit pethub.com. You can learn more about pethub and how you, you can get connected to everything you need for your pet. And always you can send us a message through that platform as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Give those fur balls a scratch behind the ears for me.